0: Welcome back to the iceberg. This is the podcast where we skip over all the gloating and stories of success and talk about what's beneath the surface of business. You know, the hard stuff, the stuff that really sucks. Today I'm joined by serial entrepreneur and investor, Patrick Bryant. He's one of the leading business figures in my area and someone I rely on for advice in my daily business struggles. He's the founder of a software development firm, a video production company, a human resource software company, and a whole lot more. Listen up, because you can learn a lot from Patrick. So, Patrick, where are you at today?
1: Uh, The D.C. House.
0: How is it being the fiancé of a congresswoman?
1: (laughs) It, it is uh, fantastic. I mean, she works so freaking hard and we both just have these driving souls to get shit accomplished. So, uh, it, it works out pretty well.
0: Did you see my, uh, Monday night before the election post about her?
1: I did. I showed it to her. Actually. Uh, I saw it first and it was incredibly honoring and, and special and, and, having, Written those kind of posts myself, I completely uh, get the the sentiment and the the both um, sideways swipe with great love and affection.
0: <laughs> I, I thought I thought she would appreciate that, just like she's she, a giant she pain did. in my she's a giant pain in my ass because <laughs> because she works so hard. I mean, my texts and emails blowing up all kinds of. I'm, I wake up to it because I go to bed so early. She'll text me at like you know midnight. And then I'll see it at four o'clock in the morning when I wake up. And that's how I start my day most days during elections. What
1: time do you go to sleep?
0: Typically I put the boys to bed down at seven, Elizabeth and I, and I'm in bed by like eight or eight thirty.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, up, no, that's up. not a, that's not a nice thing. We're, we're a little later than that, but, but oh. I, I can admire the sentiment.
0: Oh, I know. Um, so you're already starting to dabble in some entrepreneur stuff up
1: in DC, right? Yeah, for sure. Code and trust is already working our butt off up here. We've got several clients, and 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 really jamming. DC is a great environment for entrepreneurship.
0: So, you know, you're really someone I look up to a lot, Patrick. You know that because thank you. You, you know, I've always been a political consultant. Now I'm really diving harder into entrepreneurship, and especially as I've got all these different revenues now, and I've created all these different businesses. I'm I'm really struggling because it, it's hard to lead so many different entities. Sure. And you've been doing that for a while. I mean, give me a few secrets on that. How are you doing that?
1: Well, one of the things that I got quoted to me a few years ago from a friend of mine, Jonathan Zucker, their, their company has a ton of entities. And I made a comment similar to what you just asked. How do you guys manage all those different entities and he said well i don't know if it's wrong or right but we manage by exception which means if a company is doing exceptionally well we dive in we want to make it go harder and faster and if a company is doing exceptionally bad we dive in because we gotta we gotta (laughs) save it we gotta make it run and and the ones we don't focus much on are the ones that are just kind of running steady and I, that is what I end up doing. It, I'm either working exceptionally hard on the ones that are in startup mode and they're trying to figure their pieces out uh, or or really well on the ones that are really growing hard. And and, and I'll say that the ones that are struggling, uh, I tend to let, put less energy into than, than the ones that are winning. I, I, I just tend to invest in the winner's. Um, and and that's not necessarily talking specifically about people, although it is all about the, all of our businesses are about the people that run them and uh, and who's who's working on them. But what I mean to say is, sometimes exceptional people have struggles and they're really having to work through those tougher times. Uh, and so I try to give them support where I can, but I tend to to spend the majority of my time. On the companies that the market is is pushing them to to win at that moment. So,
0: how in the details are you? I mean, are you just putting like exceptional leaders in charge of each thing, and then you're looking at it from a thirty thousand foot view, or are you like getting into the weeds of each of these entities?
1: Well, every one of my entities, I have uh, partners that own equity running them. Even when we've hired CEOs, I tend to be very. um equity-driven, trigger-driven, incentive-based, pay-driven. I want everybody that is running anything that we're involved in to have clear goals, missions, and values that they really understand where all of us are going as a team. And then I want to incentivize them to hit those goals in big ways because I find that is the the number one way to keep people aligned but also give them the autonomy to make the decisions they got to make to go and, and accomplish. It, to answer your question, as far as getting in the weeds, generally speaking, I'm not. I, I tend to live in a place that uh, I'm getting quarterly uh, p balance sheet, high-level goal conversations, where we add on these particular things we laid out, where we add on the things we talked about last time we got together, where where you're, where you're as the leader of that company, where your highlights, where your lowlights, how can I help in making e- either of those things move forward? And that, to me, is really what most of them are looking for. I, I just I don't tend to surround myself, as you well know, with people that are, are looking for me to tell them what to do. <laughs> they're looking for me to be involved and help them and have strategy and see things that maybe other people aren't seeing in the marketplace. You know, that's where they rely on me. They don't want me micromanaging them. Uh, they're they're not interested in, in that and they don't operate well when I do.
0: So are you serving more as almost like an advisory role than a manager for most of your companies now?
1: Well, so I, I have seven operating entities that I've, pay attention to. And I think of startups like movie scripts because I'm a I'm an old TV production guy, right? And and so I can relate to the fact that at any given time one of our startups is in pre-production, which means we're talking about what we're going to start. What would make sense? What the market wants? Maybe we're getting some balls rolling and testing the market, but we're not really there yet as far as really running forward hard with the idea. Then we're in production. And at any given time, I'm only on uh, set, I call it. I'm on set for two to three years, right? I'm I'm going to that location every day. I'm paying attention to it. The team knows I'm leading it. That is what I am focused on, uh, which today is code and trust. And then uh, there's post-production in my mind, which is, hey, this company, it's doing well, or I've moved on from it, and now other people are leading that particular effort. And I'm happy to be involved and push and uh, be a driver. But at the same time, someone else needs to have their hands on the wheel.
0: So that seven, which is a shit ton, by the way, which is why I asked, that doesn't include just your other... Because you invest in businesses also, which I know you serve as an advisor. Those no, so that doesn't even include those seven, right?
1: Yeah, the seven, seven I'm talking them. about, I own more than twenty percent of, and and really have a, a a management responsibility. You know, a a, a real a real um, uh, ownership in the in the company. There's the, I, I have angel investments and other companies that I've invested in a long time, and and in some of those cases they have morphed into me owning more and more, and then they become one of the seven. But uh, normally, I'll start out with a small investment, a small conversation with a partner. What are you working on? How can I help? Is this something interesting? Maybe they went through the accelerator that I've mentored in or one um, one of the funds that I'm a uh, you know, a LPN. And then once I get to know them a little bit, understand them more, see where we could go together, then that's when I, I start to make a bigger investment and get real involved. Gotcha. Well,
0: if I don't sound as energetic during this recording, it's because I'm I'm just exhausted, Patrick. I mean, coming off the election cycle and I'm in the middle yep. of this big business deal, which you were one of the very few people that know about. And I can't even say it here because it's we're going to announce it two weeks after this airs. But, you know, between push, Lawrence Group, the brewery, the real estate stuff, and then this business deal with three new entities that I'll have that I'll be managing, I'm 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 more tired right now than I've ever been because I've also have, you know, in the middle of Herschel Walker's runoff, I'm still managing a lot of races, like, you know, helping Nancy's race. And my point is, as I'm I'm having a real hard time juggling, all of these different things that I'm doing and when I look at you you're one of the very few people that I've found that have been able you and Elon Musk um that have been able to juggle all these different entities and you still seem like you know you're having fun in life and doing all these things where you would think if you have seven entities you're managing you're just working from you know 5 a.m until midnight every day but you seem to have figured out all the balance and maybe I'm just seeing that from like the outside but you you have more balance than most entrepreneurs i've i've seen
1: well thanks for saying that i of course i have all the struggles that every entrepreneur does I, i've got you know betrayals and people that that, uh, frustrate me in a big way. And and uh, I've got employees suing me on different entities. I mean, I, I, I kid that if if you have enough employees, I don't know what that number is, but let's start somewhere at 50, then you're going to get sued. Uh, okay. it, it just it, at some point scale equals somebody wanting to take advantage of, of the situation. We've never lost a lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, so I generally feel like we're in the right uh the you know when it comes to that but those things will happen period let's, you let's, will you will have shrugs
0: well let's dive into the weeds of one I, mean, I guess like the whole point of this podcast because uh you know i'm i'm going to be having close to 90 employees very soon with this business deal i have so i know i'm going to come up with a lawsuit at some point you're right but no it does that to be a lawsuit let's dive into something that's really sure. sucked man like what's been one of your biggest struggles as an entrepreneur
1: well, there's no doubt that the biggest struggle that I ever had was when I was 17. My my parents created a newspaper and my dad was an expert in the newspaper industry. I was a young kid. I didn't even know what entrepreneurship was. I don't even know if we called it that back then. It was just kind of small business. And uh, he was starting this newspaper and I invested $2,500 of my own money into the, the family newspaper. I was real involved in setting up the brand new Macintosh computers uh, and, and really played a, a pivotal role in my life in shaping this idea that I now have that is uh, creating projects and understanding how to spin them up and, and how exciting that is for me. And I vividly remember my dad walking into my room when I was 17 years old with him telling me that they were filing bankruptcy, that they hadn't made the numbers work, that this thing that was so exciting to me, I had worked full time as a graphic designer in the business uh, and, and really had had learned so much. But it was now imploding our entire family. So at seventeen, I went from a kid that grew up on a golf course to uh, you know losing the family home, my parents file bankruptcy, they get divorced. All of this wow. pain. I mean, it was it was incredibly difficult to go through that time period. Having said that, I, I remember telling a friend. I, I think that most people would say, I'm never going to start a business. This sucks so bad. Mm -hmm. And I thought the exact opposite. I I told my friend, I am not waiting until 55, like my dad did, to start uh, my business. I'm going to start a business at 17 and 19 and 22 and 24. And I'm just going to keep starting them. And if I I don't care if I fail or not. I'm just going to get really good at, at doing this startup thing because it is so much fun. And so there I was at 17 years old and, it, 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 you know, the toughest time of my life and having this desire to go do entrepreneurship. And I I, I liken it to somebody who almost drowns and then becomes an Olympic swimmer. It's like, how, how do I take away from this? Like, I want this to be my superpower. So I took we, in the bankruptcy, we got, uh, the, the used minivan, which became my, my car to drive around town. Uh, and we got, uh, two Macintosh computers. And so I start up a mm-hmm. sell my time, graphic design firm, knocking door to door, asking people if I can create their menus and their logos and desktop publishing. That's and awesome. this is, this is, um, early nineties. And, um, it was just a fantastic uh, struggle, honestly. But it taught me everything that I then learned over time to understand. Okay, this is how you run financials. This is uh, a service-based business. If I sell my time, I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to make it work. But I'm not gonna scale because it's you know so hard to add people with service-based business. So all those things just kind of cascade from that original, uh, down, down moment. And, and over time, you know, I, I just continue to increase in the scalability of the the firms that were involved in.
0: Yeah, man, it seems like most people would have been screw this. I'm never going down that route, but what was the bug you got? I mean, what, what about watching them create the business, like
1: put that in you? It is there's just no doubt that, that I had been built for something project oriented. I, I am not, I am not good at mowing the grass. I, I don't like coming to the same task uh, mm. multiple times. I like to come to something long enough to master it. And and once I can solve a Rubik's cube, I don't need to solve it. You know, every yeah. day. <laughs> uh, I need to invent a new Rubik's cube.
0: So I haven't actually told this story much, if ever, but I'll tell you because my interest in entrepreneurship developed very similar. So, you know, I grew up as a welfare kid and my mom eventually remarried a guy named Robert and we were able to move from the ghetto to a, you know, upper low, 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 upper class home in like an actual neighborhood. He worked for a place, uh, the aluminum company out in Goose Creek, which was called Alia Max. I don't remember what it's called now. And he wasn't wealthy at all, you know. It was my sister, my mom, and his three kids, and you know he probably was making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, not not a ton to support that big a family. And then my, I want to say, junior year of high school, he got fired they, just from a you know downsizing of the company, and we were distraught and thought we finally got off of welfare. We're heading back to the ghetto. We're heading back to Section Eight housing. And Robert had taken air conditioning courses in high school, and on the weekends was fixing air conditioners just for some extra money. And my mom convinced him to open up a air conditioning company. And um, they did it out of our house, my literally right outside of my bedroom door. They set out a uh, set up a desk and a phone, and started this air conditioning company. And um, both of them have passed away since, but now it's Goose Creek Heating and Air which is one of the largest air conditioning companies in the low country. And you see their, every time I see their TV, I come on TV, I get excited. or see one of their yellow vans driving around Charleston. But for me, it was, I never want to be in a position where I could just lose everything because of someone else's decision. Like I want to be in control of my fate and watching my stepfather uh, take control of his own fate, put something in me that forever changed me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think there's something about uh, people with that particular struggle that we tend to hold on to that first dollar right and 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 build a little brick house around ourselves. Uh, I know a number of entrepreneurs that that have that similar mindset where it's like, look, I'm not, I've gotten to this point in life. And I'm never going to go below this point, right? <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to shelter up enough that I know that I'm going to stay here. And then I'm going to take the leap and the risk to go get to the next level, but I'm going to make sure that I, I've got that, that safety net. And you happen to mention Elon, you know, I think that's one of the, one of the funny things about him, uh, that is just, a, an, an amazing gene that I respect is, that willingness to just bet it all again mm-hmm. uh you know he he's just been in multiple times he's had you know an entire company riding on him plowing a lot of his personal net worth into the deal in order to to make it happen and, and that's impressive and ballsy and and i love it
0: yeah but you know there's a lot that you can look at Elon Musk and be impressed by and even from my standpoint, become obsessed with, but it's not necessarily at the moment, the genius of um, making science fiction become reality is, is what I like to say about the guy at the moment. Now watching him take over Twitter is just, and me going through a similar thing at the moment at a much, 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 much smaller scale. And I'm struggling at such a small level. How is he able to, run such ma- multiple be the CEO of you know SpaceX Tesla and Twitter be the CEO of three massive companies it blows my mind but then again he you know you hear he's like sleeping in the office of Twitter right now so the guy is legitimately giving it
1: his all right and I think that's the impressive piece is is giving it your all it's so in so cool to to watch something like that happened. Now, of course, he's got, I'm sure, you know, he's got his own struggles and, and things he can dive into. But the reality is that when you're that operator and you know this is my thing and I'm diving in on it and I'm going hard at it, uh, then it's it's really, it's not that difficult, honestly. It's, it's really just a matter of uh, almost, to me personally, it's it's fun like it re-energizes me. It's, it's the opposite of being a, a task. I, I made a comment um, a couple of weeks ago that a friend of mine posted, Sean Moffat, actually, he's a shared friend of, of, of both of ours and, a, and a, a terrific business partner of mine. He made a post about work-life balance. And I just happened to comment on it and say that I don't believe there is work-life balance. It's all our life's work. And I just don't think there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) What I do for a living, I believe entrepreneurship is the number one change agent in the world. And, I, it is my life's work. And I show up every day at all hours of the day and anytime we need to be working on something. Uh, and and I'm, I'm always willing to do it because it is fun and it is what I want to accomplish on a daily basis. So uh, I, you know, I, I say I've got two sons, Peyton and Jack. They are uh, 21 and 18, but my firstborn his go-to team uh the the first company we started 25 years ago so
0: yeah no i totally 100 percent agree i mean this is what i love to do this is my hobby you know it's work hang out with the family run ultra marathons and triathlons and work and this is legitimately what i love to do i got to the office yesterday at 5 30 in the morning and was here until 8 p.m last night but um i I think you're just catching me at a weird time i'm catching you since you came on my podcast um I'm just man coming off the election and being in the middle of the runoff. I, I am just exhausted, and even though it's fun and it energizes us, we're still humans and not machines. And at some point, we just got to like <laughs> take a breath, take a week off, and just re-energize the physical body. And I think that's. I agree a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you know, exit is important too. I think there's a lot of times. When, uh, you know, code and trust, I'm, I'm coming to the, the end of my full time employment there and and that's going to wrap up in the next year. And there's just no doubt that I'll plan in some time to sit and allow myself to uh, relax. And I don't need very much time. I don't sit on the beach well um i don't need to go away to the bahamas for for 3 months mm-hmm. but i do need to give myself the ability to not be focused entirely on something for a period of time and just let my my days play themselves out up until a point which actually happens pretty quickly i call it a warm shower it's like as soon as you as soon as you exit uh it's like you're getting into a warm shower and you can be in that shower all anxious that you don't know what you're going to do next. And as am I ever going to start another thing? And was that lightning struck that I got to exit? And instead you should just go, no, like this is a nice warm shower. Allow yourself to take the pause and breathe and understand that uh, we never stay in the shower too long. At the end of the day, we always get out and we go to work and we move forward with our life uh, because we're built to to work hard. and, And that moment will happen.
0: I think you hit the nail on the head because I'm always working. Even when I'm on vacation, I'm always working because the brain is always focused on the thing. So I'm either listening to a podcast or reading a book or on the plane, reading a magazine on the way to an Island. I, I think you hit the nail on the head that I've never really thought about before. It's the difference between focusing on the thing and then just letting the brain do its own thing. Like just giving yeah. the brain a moment to just think and imagine and just not be focusing on the inbox or the text message or the conference call or the meeting or just the thing at the moment.
1: I mean, it can still work. And just to further describe that, I mean, I I, think I would want everyone to picture two trips, right? We're going to take a trip and we're going to go to Manhattan and we're going to explore the uh, places in Manhattan that sell salads. That's our goal. Why? Because we're going to go get a concept that is a salad restaurant and we're going to bring it to Charleston. And that's our trip is we're going to work and we're going to research what's happening in Manhattan. On the other hand, we can go to Manhattan and we can land there and say, I, we got nothing. We got yeah. a week of Manhattan and I don't, there is no schedule. There is no plan. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Uh, and I just want to wake up in the morning in Manhattan and say, What do I feel like doing today? And I think when when you take that second trip, you allow your mind to see things that it wouldn't have seen on the trip researching. Right? It it is suddenly completely open to everything, and when it's open, it it sees opportunity that you didn't even know was there.
0: Brother, that's perfect. Well, man, I leave it at that because that's a good way to close it, man. I um. You're, you're really inspiring to me. I appreciate your friendship. Um, as I've been going through this business deal, which will be out public soon, you're one of the only people I've been talking to about it. I appreciate your advice on that, man. You mean a lot to me. Your fiance
1: does too. So just thanks for everything you do for me. hundred percent. Thank you. I know you're grinding it hard and I, I always appreciate it too. All right, brother. I'll see you. All right.